In this episode, we will feature content from a virtual event hosted in partnership with About Fraud. I spoke with Zenko Lagrazi, head of fraud prevention at RapiPay. It's a leading delivery and payment app in Latin America with presence in over 15 countries. We spoke about the challenges associated with coupons and referral discounts to drive growth. More often than not, these marketing initiatives attract the attention of bad actors looking to take advantage of the promotions in several creative ways. We both agreed that multi-accounting enables promotion abuse, and therefore preventing multi-accounting is also the best way to fight coupon and referral abuses. Keep listening to hear the most interesting takeaways from this conversation. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Andre Faraz, co-founder and CEO at Incognito. Welcome to Trust and Safety Mavericks, a show focused on topics related to online trust and safety and riding the next big wave. Welcome. Hello, everybody. My name is Ronald. I'm the co-founder of About Fraud, and I'm the host of our webinar today. So today we talk about multi-accounting and many of us know that your favorite online delivery shop or other marketplaces or uh, e-commerce stores offering for first-time customers great promotion. And of course, there's always a way to abuse this promotion to really take an advantage out of this. And that's our topic today how to see multi-accounting, what can companies do to detect this, to stop this, to really saving the marketing budget for the real first-time customers. Good. So let's jump to our second slide where we want to give an overview actually who's in the uh, webinar today. First one is Andre from Incognia and we also have Senko from RapiPay. Andre, Please take a, a minute to do a short intro about yourself, who you are, and then please Sango uh, join as well. Hi, everybody. My name is Andre Faraz. I'm the CEO and co-founder at Incognia, a company that specializes in device and location verification. And we have been working with multiple marketplaces uh, addressing this type of broad issue, uh, which is multi-accounting and, and promotion abuse. Uh, it's great to be here, uh, part of this webinar. Uh, Ronald, thanks for, for moderating. Zenko, thanks for participating. Hello, everyone. I am Zenko. I am head of fraud prevention in Rapid Bay. I am a, a fraud prevention professional since 2007. So I have uh, 16 years of experience in fraud prevention in all Latin America. Welcome, Andre. Welcome, Zenko. Thanks for, for joining this. I mean, for the audience, it's always important to get different perspectives. That's why we're always trying to find a good mix of speakers to really give a first-line perspective from Senko, from Andre, giving a very wide perspective from different kind of companies from a technology point of view. So that's our goal to really provide different expertise perspectives on this kind of important topic. So we're going into what are the kind of scams, what are the biggest challenges, um, then we're going into this kind of coponing promotion abuse, how it really works. And then we're going into more the solution side. What can companies do to actually detect multiple accounting and stop it based on uh, location information? But I think first, it's good to set the stage to really put in perspective what is really the pain of actually having promotion abuse. And Andre will give us here a bit more insights about the, the impact which companies have when they get this kind of promotion abuse issue. Awesome. So yeah, this is actually a very challenging type of, of fraud because in, in many cases, it is even hard to classify it as fraud, right? Basically, the budgets for these coupons and, and, and vouchers comes usually from the marketing department. And in general, in most cases, the initial conclusion is that those coupons are just not performing very well, right? Like users are creating accounts and they're not staying. But when we look a little closer, 
we realize that actually this type of promotion is being abused, right? So people are creating multiple accounts so they can exploit this for a long time. And when it comes to food delivery, right, it, it means basically that you're able to eat for free for a certain period of time for, or eat very good food for a very low price. So there is certainly an, an incentive for bad actors to exploit this type of thing, right? So if the food delivery platform doesn't have very good broad controls, they could simply identify this as a marketing campaign that is not really performing, where in reality, this is not the case. The marketing campaign actually could be working and performing really well, but the problem is that the fraud controls are not in place to detect and stop this type of activity, right? So, so this is what makes this type of fraud tricky. And here on this session today, we'll, we'll explore some of the techniques that we can apply to identify this correctly and, and stop it. I have one question, uh, Andre, to this point. I think you mentioned an important aspect that often is not really visible in the first phase that you have actually a promotion abuse issue. What is from your point of view the trigger or a kind of action for a company to evaluate if the promotion is just performing bad or if they really have a, a kind of a promotion abuse issue? Yeah, yeah. So the tricky part here is that usually these two departments, they don't work very closely, the marketing department and the fraud department, right? So I'd say that the first thing is that they need to collaborate right? the teams need to be communicating and the fraud teams have to have visibility about the promotions that are coming out and the marketing teams have to have visibility about which fraud controls are in place so that they don't put like promotions that, that are, are going to be like clearly exploited by, by fraudsters, right? So I think the first step is really to foster this collaboration between these teams. And when it comes to the, the data itself, right, assuming that these two teams are talking to each other, I'd say that the main concern here is really around the identity verification process and understanding if the company has deployed like good controls and have good ways to identify these individuals uniquely from different perspectives, right? So it's important to have a, a layered approach to understand this user's identity. So it's not only, for example, like document verification plus selfie, or not only device fingerprinting, or not only location verification, but actually like looking at these forms of identity and trying to cross-reference each other to understand if, if there is any inconsistency, right? So I think that that would be one thing that's on the, on the fraud department lens, but from the lens of, of the, the marketing department, I would say that one of the most important things is really to monitor the, the, the stickiness of those promotions, right? So if there is a very big churn, like people are creating accounts and, and, and are not making their second or third order after they create that, that account, I think that's a very strong signal that like there is promotion abuse going on, especially if you have historical data to compare to and see if churn went up significantly. So, so yeah. These two teams have to be monitoring these different metrics and, and talking to each other. I think that's the most important part. Maybe a short follow-up question to Senko. I mean, you have a lot of experience working for different organizations. Can you confirm that actually the fraud team works together with the marketing team? Or do you feel that's still like a challenge connecting both teams and really working in the same direction? Yes, that's it. So the, the, the marketing team in the fraud prevention area must to work together. That's the key to the success of the, to bring the real clients, the clients that we need and that we want to, to achieve. So if we don't work together, marketing will have a, a lot of marketing, a lot of promotions. And if the fraud prevention area doesn't know, could be attacked. I can also stop the marketing, the, the relevance of the marketing team, because I am not known if we are making a promotion or if we are making a, a social media to achieve the people, the clients. So that's true. If we work together, we are better and we can look after the best clients and the, the securities of them also. Cool. I think le let's go into the next level because often it's also the question 
is it really an abuse or maybe just like a weak policy? And uh, that's sometimes also an interesting point. And Andrew can uh, give you some uh, perspective on this, maybe with a few examples. Because I also have seen already cases on my consulting side where uh, companies did not follow up on this. It was more like a, a policy gap which they had. But, but again, here, so it depends on the kind of bonus which you provide. Yeah, and here we have some examples of uh, Grubhub and DoorDash, which are both US-based food delivery companies. And yeah, each of them are describing their, their own policy. Right? So in this case, we're talking about referral bonuses. And here is a question right from a, a, a probably an FAQ on their website where they're explaining what is their policy to really give away those credits to, to a user that has referred someone else, right? So in this case, they're talking about a, a unique referral link that has to be used to create that account. Probably they have other controls in place, like for example, monitoring that device, to see if that device has created another account in the past. So certainly there are policies in place already. So I'd say that the key thing for, for this discussion today is, is very to like see the techniques that are used by the fraudster to circumvent some of the most common policies. For example, device fingerprint, right? Like there are multiple techniques that fraudsters can use to, to break those device fingerprints. So what else can you do to detect that, ha that happened, right? And there are other like data points that, that could inform those, those kind of things. In this example, Andre, we talk about delivery platforms. Do you see the promotion abuse across the whole across different industries and do you think there's a, a big difference between the industries or is the grand scheme how they operate more or less the same? Yeah, no, it's it's across all industries, right? So if, if we're talking about any any online marketplace, typically there will be some incentives for especially new customers and also for uh, referrals, right? Because in, in the end of the day, these companies have to keep growing and to, to, to be more successful. So they're always trying to find ways to appeal to non-customers to become new customers, right? So that's one of the, the greatest things that, that you can do. It's like, okay, if you don't have an account with us, uh, here's like credit for you to, to make your first purchase. Interestingly, we used to joke a bit with, with some of these promotions. We, we used to say that the business model of some of these companies were VC to C, so basically a lot of VC money <laughs> being fueled directly to, to consumers so, so they could create those accounts, especially because of the, the competition. There's a very fierce competition between these companies for user acquisition, right? But then then the joke actually became VC to F, right? Which is VC money going straight to the fraudsters, which are being able to, to exploit these programs. So yeah, it, it is across all different types of marketplaces from like food delivery all the way to like ride hailing companies, local marketplaces, peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces, vacation rental platforms, pretty much every, every single like online marketplace has, has some sort of uh, like coupon or voucher campaign for new customers. And I think the, the interesting point about the food delivery company is that you have not only the customer in the marketplace, but also you have like a restaurant and actually a driver. Maybe Senko can maybe provide a bit more perspective from, from your experience, how actually a driver is contributing to kind of referral bonus abuse. Is it also, because it's another party who actually also could be exploiting the system. Can you give any examples, Senko, where you have seen in your uh, years of experience that also the driver brings in a uh, a challenge for the marketplace to really to monitor uh, and to really make sure they're not doing the wrong things. Yeah. And um, the thing is, we are trying to make the customer life easier, no? It's so you can make your onboarding easier with less information. So if you need to use something that costs more risk, so you need to apply of uh, identity, you need to apply other informations. Until we have that, we need to ensure that these people are the, the real people, no? And they are not using in the abusive way to make money. So the policy is also important. We we need to, to work together with the, the, the law team because they doesn't know what is the risks that we are uh, applying to, no? 
And the second thing is not not only in the in the, the, the food delivery or the, the delivery to in the commerce itself, but in the bank you we also have member get member, we also get welcome bonus. So they will try as much they, that they can use these coupons. But they don't stop that. In the bank area, they use these accounts to make other scams, like social engineering, like a mule accounts. So I can use these accounts to make a bridge, to make the cash out, so to make the money disappear. And you cannot see, if it is not a, a real person, you cannot make legal stuff with them. You cannot stop them because you don't see if it is, it is a real person or not. So that's what Andres were talking about. No, you need to guarantee that you have a stronger fingerprint, for example. You need to guarantee that the integrity of the device. And also you need to use the geolocation so you can find a lot of people in the same locations that you can make a rule and detect this, this kind of behavior. Yeah. And I think that's actually a good transition to the next part. I mean, uh, traditionally, all of us know we used uh, device fingerprints and we used uh, certain other information to really get a high level understanding if certain accounts are connected. And I think that's a, a good place to maybe spend a, a few minutes here to really providing this foundation for everybody. What are the common tools? which have been used and which are still used today. And then in the next phase, what are other data points or technology, which could be even better or could be in addition used to detect this kind of multiple cuts? Yeah. So what's, what's interesting here is that like pretty much every fraud control can be circumvented in some way, right? So when we're talking about device fingerprinting solutions, for example, what is happening more commonly now is like the, the deprecation of these fingerprint solutions because of the recent changes happening to the ecosystem uh, overall. So for example, on the mobile side, right, Android and iOS platforms have been adding a lot of like new layers of privacy controls that are directly affecting the ability for companies to fingerprint devices. So as we know, like this is public information, right? Even, even Companies like uh, Facebook, for example, are suffering from, from these things because they used to have a good way to uniquely identify users based on, on device attributes, and those identifiers are no longer available, right? So they can no longer uh, do, do this type of identification. This type of thing is also affecting some of the device fingerprinting solutions, uh, and they're, they're having to adapt quickly in order to maintain a stable identity for, for each device, right? So this is changing very rapidly. Same is happening on the browser side. So Safari, for example, Firefox, they have recently updated a lot of their policies regarding data collection. And even on the regulatory side, right, regulations like GDPR and, and others have been affecting this. The good news though, is that some of these policies don't apply to fraud prevention and security solutions which is great, right? So some of these solutions can still have access to some of these identifiers and, and some of the data points that are used to create fingerprints for, for the device or identities for the devices, but it's still a challenge, right? So that's one thing. And that leads to fraudsters being able to build like better and more sophisticated spoofing solutions for, for this, right? So, so they have been creating new techniques and new even applications that make it easier for them to spoof device fingerprinting solutions that are available in the market. Same applies to, to email verification, right? So as we know, many companies use techniques to verify if an email is valid and its age and things like that. So then fraudsters have adapted to that as well, right? So they have created, for example, services in which they would create like a, a bunch of emails and they will age those emails until they they start passing some of those tests, right? So, so you ha actually have email aging tools in what is called here e aging as a service, which is pretty crazy, right? Like having actual organizations that are creating email addresses and at large scale <laughs> and basically putting them like separating them in different vintages and say, okay, now, now I have a new vintage of, of emails that is going to pass most of these tests. 
So yeah, same way that that people do to to create synthetic identities or to build a credit score on top of a, an identity that doesn't really exist, right? Similar technique is being applied to to age those emails. So these are just like two examples or, or techniques that that processors are are applying to to circumvent some of these protections. Maybe the Senko, maybe again the question to you. I mean, you're operating in, in different markets in Latin America. Maybe a question in this direction. Do you see any kind of differences how fraudsters are interacting in the different markets? So is there Brazil different to Colombia or to, to any other country in Latin America? Or would you say that's like more or less the same? They're using the same technology tactics. So for you, it's like the, the same across the whole uh, region. Well, they are pretty much the same in Latin America, right? So, but the thing is, it's about the culture of this, this country, how digitalized they are. That's one thing, you know, if we are more digitalized, our people, we get more risk in digital area, no, but the scams are pretty much the same way they will try to not be identified as a fraudsters and the scale the operations that they have and how they will use it. No, like in Mayo Age, you can use it. it and it is a market for them. They make it. And we have also the concern of uh, leaked data. It also there is a concern because I have a leaked data of a bunch of people. I already know the names. I already know the, the, the data they have. I can create a lot of email aging them and selling it. Also, I can sell the accounts for media accounts. It is a huge market in Argentina. So yes, they are pretty much the same. They will always try the basics. So change the, the fingerprints that make some manipulations of the device. The device can, could be rooted. They could be, you know, they will always do the same. They will try to hide the IP. They will try to hide the agile locations. They will always do this. But the thing is, they will always left trial to the, the, the digital trial. No, they, they, we will always have some informations that we can use it to avoid this kind of fraud. The thing is, there's no silver bullets of fraud prevention. No? We all know that. There's no one solutions that is the, the, the silver bullets that will kill the fraudsters. There will not always. But we need to guarantee that we have the basic protections like fingerprints. They will always change. We need to change faster with them. And we could always do internally, or we can do with the specialized providers. Internally, depends on your segment. There's no make sense to you to specialize in tools of fraud prevention. We are a bank, for example, or we are delivering food. There's no make sense to we build some kind of tools to guarantee that. Of course, the basics was no that should not have robots, the, the bots to do not have some kind of a breach and the cybersecurity net, etc. Of the our apps, of our browsers, and etc. But uh, in the market, we always have the providers there are in many places, and this is the data that we are buying to also, because. If they already know in the market that is a device, it is a bad device or a user or a mail, we can use that internally to make these clients, the potential clients with higher score, with more risk and avoid this kind of fraud. So, but they will always use, try to manipulate the fingerprint. I think the browser is easier. No, you can use even Chrome. You can use to change your, your browser. You, where you are entering the application on the in the browser and the banking account. The second thing is we guarantee a good fingerprint. You know, we have this tennis. They always have some problems with GRPD and concerned with the data. They may know that we can always have a lot of these information. Guarantee that we are not seeing. It is not a emulator. We guarantee that it's not a rooted cell phone. We guarantee that is no VPN. We guarantee all the basic protections. We can also use other informations that we have of the device 
to make identifications of the risk. So we can use information to identify the clients. That is a good client is a good person. So I am not seeing the fraudster now. I am seeing the good clients. I am seeing that the, the information that I have, it is a good client. So they can come or potential clients know if they can. And also we can identify the standards that have in the behaviors, like the, the same cell phone, the same IP, the same. So we need to guarantee the basics of the protection, the, the device integrity, and also use the information also that you have. The wireless network, the geolocation is also strong information to avoid this kind of stuff. And I think we already covered some of the elements of our next slides. So I think Andre and also Senko already mentioned certain techniques which fraudsters are using to actually still go around all the data which is actually collected or technology which is used. I think that was the exciting part about our industry that if we creating a new wall that the fraudster will find a way to go left to right and really going around the obstacles that we need to find a new way. And uh, I think that's an exciting part, but also that is the challenge for our businesses, how we can grow and still keeping up with, with all these new challenges. I think Antje can also give you a, a few examples what how creative fraudsters are. And also, as Senko mentioned before, some standard tools like the browser or the phone already give certain abilities for fraudsters to take actions to hide or to, let's say, imitate or emulate uh, certain data points. Yeah, exactly. I, I think two other uh, things that are they're worth mentioning here on this slide are the use of emulators. Um, we see that a lot. So basically, once, once a fraudster identifies that they can create an account on a marketplace and get a, a $20 coupon, they very quickly realize that they can do this over and over, right? So emulators are is one of the tools that can use to to make this more scalable, right? So they can run like multiple at a time and create many accounts uh, very quickly. Another one which is a little bit less scalable uh, and typically would be used by users that are a little bit less sophisticated are the the factory resets, right? So if they're not being able to manipulate their system to break the device fingerprinting solutions, uh, the next Thing they they will try this to to do a factory reset on their phone so they can circumvent it and finding ways to detect if a device was recently reset is is important here. We're gonna talk a little bit more about this later, but identifying this type of behavior is is important, especially if the promotion is really attractive, right? So, for example, when it comes to the to the full delivery industry, it tends to happen more on the driver side than on the consumer side because usually the the payouts for drivers tend to be higher right so like the the incentives uh tend, tend to be a little bit bigger so it's worth for that person to reset their phone and do this and then the third one here is app cloning which is quite interesting which is basically a technique in which you can literally like clone one app to multiple instances of that same app on your mobile device right so instead of having like one Rappi app on my phone, I can actually run 15 different instances at the same time and create accounts and all of those. And these app cloning solutions enable the fraudster to have a different fingerprint for each of those, right? So finding ways to detect this type of app cloning technique uh, and, and app tempering techniques is also quite important because this is really the type of technique that the more sophisticated fraudsters would use. And that could hurt a lot more because it's a more scalable type of process, right? So, so fighting, like finding that and fighting that is, it's very important. And the big challenge for many marketplaces is the scale. Of course, identifying one user who's actually trying to go around the system is one point, but if you have thousands of new users every day, it's a different challenge. So one topic which we did not touch with the slides are the usage of bots. Maybe Senko, do you see any kind of 
bots supporting the fraudster to scale the account creation? Or do you think that's still like a very manual job from fraudster to create the accounts? Well, we have the both. No, it depends the the, the, the techniques that the, the, the fraudsters have. So one is the bots they will use, they will always try to use because they always try to scale the, his operations like us. We are trying to scale our, our operations. So the fraudsters too. The thing is the bots, we can identify also. No, we can identify the velocity. They are fulfilling the, the proposal too fast. Some robots uh, left some kind of information that you can identify that is a robots running in the back end, but it is tricky because they can also put a delay. Oh, you will propose to make slowly and fulfill. You don't make a copy and paste more because we see all the proposals are copy and paste. There's no way says that the people don't do it. They can use for identity or some data or, or, or one or two data. But not all the proposed, the robots will always use this kind of configuration. They don't use the, the mouse pad. They don't use the, the things that are physical in the, in the computer. They will always try to use digital programs to make the, the robots works. We can identify them, but they will always do. They always do something like that. And this, that's the basics. No, that, that's the basics. I will try to use the robots. Let's see if the company has, they are strong enough to avoid the robots that I have. If not, they will use a robot because that's easy. I can make a, a robot in hours. So that's the thing. No? You need to, to build this, this protection. The robots, they will use, they are easy to use, but also we can identify, you know, but you also can circumvent this type of the, uh, things, making delay in the, the, the propulsion. Uh, not using copy and paste, but uh, used to digit the name of the clients and the identification. They always can use that, but again, we can identify them in the, the robots. I think uh, in general, one important point for many organizations is that they need to measure the impact in the right way. Beginning, we have seen the, the impact of costs. Maybe one question, Sango, to you. Is your organization actually flagging what is promotion abuse to make also how big the issue is? Because a lot of technology also is a certain investment. And if you go to your boss, I need a certain investment for new technology, they might ask, okay, but what is the impact? So do you actually really flag this kind of issue as a separate uh, topic or is it more under the bigger hood of fraud and you might budget fraud overall or would you really break this down in this is promotion abuse and how the issue is so big. So it makes sense to invest time, effort and money to really minimize this kind of exposure. Yes, it could be huge. If they can scale, it could be huge. You know, you, you, we can spend all the money that we have in marketing in, in fraud. So it, it is a, a concern that we have. In fraud, we always have, uh, it is an investment. Or I, I am losing money, no? Because it's hard to, to make the business team, no? Oh, I need to have it. Oh, how much we gain to, to do it? No, how much I, I will re have in return to make a fraud prevention tool or fraud prevention feature, no? How can I use that? How can I use that? I, I will not uh, receive nothing. I, I will not make money with that. But we are protecting the clients. We are protecting the business. So. When we make the accounts of it, makes sense. We avoid a lot of fraud if we have some kind of uh, protections, and we also can scale the operations with security, guarantee the secrets of the clients, guarantee the secrets of the business. And these type of conversations need to be together, including the PL. We need to include this kind of investment in our PL. If and if we don't have it, we will lose a lot of money. We will spend money and we will have no return. So the business will not have, we will not have a return if we don't do the protections that we must to do. So it is conversations that must to be together. Fraud prevention for a long time will not always be in the discussions in the business. Nowadays, 
we must to have conversations together with the law team, with the marketing, with the product team. Because if we don't have it, we will always lose money and we will always can have a risk of image, can risk of uh, losing money there. So it, it is important to have the conversations always together with the, all the teams that we have uh, internally. Maybe we can chime in on, on this question too, which is usually what we do with, with our clients is before even integrating our solution to, to prevent fraud, we, we do two things. The first one, and, and actually the most important step is really to define the problem really well. So determine like, what is the exact use case we want to solve for? Like, is that uh, CNP fraud? Is that uh, promotion abuse? Is that account takeovers? And we want to have a lot of clarity about that early on. Once we have that established, then we, we determine a, usually a 30-day trial period in which we would integrate part of the solution just to measure all this information and to quantify how big is the problem we were discussing. Right? So, for example, if, if we're talking about promotion abuse, we want to know like how many accounts and, and what is the percentage of, of the new accounts that is really participating on some sort of a fraud scheme related to promotion abuse, right? And once we quantify that, we want to measure the financial impact, right? So like this company is losing, for example, like a, a million dollars per month just on promotion abuse. And if we deploy the solution, we've measured that we would be able to reduce it by like 85%. So as part of that process, by the end of it, we're able to bring like a lot of visibility to the customer and then they can determine like, okay, how much money I'm going to invest on this new solution to reduce these, uh, these fraud losses, for example. Yeah. And I want to bring up one uh, exciting case, which I had myself. So I consulted uh, a big European e-commerce retailer, uh, we actually sold the PlayStation 5. And the challenge which they had, had a lot of bot attacks, creating accounts and buying all the PlayStations, all the bundles. And uh, so now the question is, what's the business case behind this? because the, the people actually pay the money. So they did not really get a charge back or losing the money. It was more like that the legit customer complained that they never got a PlayStation because the bots bought all the PlayStations and sold it later on eBay or other platforms. So that's also an exciting discussions to have because you cannot really put a real dollar amount next to the exposure because it's more like a, a policy which not really it's uh, applicable to amount it's more like reputation maybe relationship to sony as a wholesaler etc again different example but same challenge and uh, a really exciting point where andre already went to the next slide is how can location be used and i also think i would even call it like a location 2.0 because a lot of people when they talk about location data, they talk about IP data. But what we now going to learn from Entre, it's much more than the IP. So there's a lot of details, a lot of data points, which are actually another layer of data, which can be used by companies to really detect where's the customer right now and, and really adding this to um, the, the machine learning models or to the um, decisions. Excellent. Yeah. When I saw the question here from Natalia asking about um, how to build models to, to, to identify the relationships between these multiple accounts, right? I passed the slide because that's the exact answer we, we, we have for it. So essentially the way to link all of those, all of those different data points together is by really looking at the problem from a, a different, different lens, right? So in the end of the day, each of these fraudsters, they are like real persons, even if they are hiding behind like multiple devices or multiple email addresses or multiple documents, it isn't a person, right? It, it, it is an individual and this person is somewhere in the world, right? So if we're able to locate this individual device, we are able to have a very good sense about the relationships between these multiple accounts and emails and devices, right? But as, as Ronald said, like we have to look at it a, a, in a different way, because if we analyze like the IP address of the user, 
that's not really good because it's very easy for that user to hide behind a different IP address just by using a VPN or a proxy, right? So by analyzing the, the IP address won't help much. And the same applies to GPS data. Most people get surprised when I, when I say this, but the, the reality is that GPS data is not reliable at all for fraud prevention purposes. And the reason is basically that the mobile operating systems, both Android and, and iOS, they have developed a feature for software developers so, so that they can test their products as if they were somewhere else. So let's imagine I'm a developer at a large company like, uh, let's, let's take Facebook as an example again, right? It's a global company. They're present in pretty much every country in the world. But I, I'm here in California. I'm the part of the development team and I just developed a feature that is exclusive to a different market, let's say uh, India, for example, right? How would I test this feature if I'm in California and I just built it uh, exclusively for, for users in India, right? I have to find a way to, to test that. So the operating systems, they actually enabled devices that are on developer mode to change their GPS coordinates so they could test these applications. But unfortunately, and like, as we know, fraudsters, they would exploit everything that they, they have available. They have been exploiting this as a security vulnerability, right? So basically the GPS data from the mobile operating systems like Android and, and iOS is not that reliable because there are multiple ways in which a fraudster can spoof the GPS information, right? Not only that, not only just by putting your, your device on developer mode, but you can also do it by downloading fake GPS apps. So if you want to test it, you, you can like get your phone right now go to the app store or or to Google play and just type fake GPS. You'll see that number of applications that enable you to, to spoof the GPS information. So we're not talking about IP or GPS data here. We're talking about a different technique that leverages other signals that we can see here on this image. For example, Wi-Fi signals, Bluetooth signals, right? What, what is interesting is that those signals are tied to a physical location. So for example, I'm, I'm here right now my living room, uh, and there is a Wi-Fi router right here in front of me. But my neighbors also have their their Wi-Fi uh, networks as well uh, surrounding my place. So if I look at my my phone and I go to to the Wi-Fi settings, I'll see a lot of different networks. These networks are are only here, right? So basically, we use that to create a unique fingerprint for each physical location. Therefore, we're able to detect the location spoofing in case the user is, is, is spoofing their GPS data, for example, and we're able to more precisely identify the location of, of that device. So for example, in, a, in an apartment building, this technique enables us to understand not only which building you are at, but also in which apartment or unit you're located at. And, and with this very precise location data, we're able to tie all of those things together because if we see, okay, we have 10 accounts that were created from the same place using different emails, using different devices or different device fingerprints, it is most likely to be the same individual, right? It's, it's very unlikely that we would see the case of, uh, let's say, a, an entire family with like 20 people that happen to live in the same house and suddenly they want to create this account in the same platform at the same time, right? Like this, this won't happen. So basically by using this type of uh, super precise location data, we're able to tie all of these identities together and create a new fraud control that, that is a lot more resilient uh, to multi-accounting, for example. Probably Zenko has more to share about that as well. Yeah, thank you. This kind of fraud uh, we have in all the industries, no? we, we have Pokemon Go you know, and the, the users are using fake GPS to be in other place that has a better Pokemons and get the best Pokemon. So it, it is not only for the, the, the bank industry, not only for the delivery industry. So we have it in all the industry. And the Natalia question we have, we actually have, and the basics we need to know, you know, if we don't have any protections of IP, I don't guarantee that the IPs that I have, it is not the same open 100 accounts, it will use it. 
because it is a, a easy technique to use to open accounts. So we need to do the basics. After that, they will do it. They will do it. They will change the GPS. How can we guarantee it? So this kind of location help us to identify the, the, the frost. You know, then the, the graphics that we can use, it is, I have a fingerprint. Remember, there is no unbreakable fingerprint, right? So, but if we have some layers of, uh, identify some fingerprints, we avoid to the same fingerprints that are open accounts. We avoid to the same IP using, we are making the Frostier life harder, and then they use uh, new techniques to, to make fraud. And that's what we want, that they have the most difficult things to, to do in my company, to don't do it fraud here and go to other industry or whatever. But we will make the life of the process harder enough that they will know if they want to make fraud here, they will have to work hard, really hard, because we have the basics, we identify as the same divisive fingerprints, we identify multiple accounts. With the same IP, we identify multiple accounts. We also can identify by a user that we have, the open accounts, we can trace with the data that we have to identify other screens or other fake clients. But we doing all of that, we have the breach. You know, they can hide the IP, they can hide the fingerprints, they can hide some kind of emulators. How can we identify this kind of person? It is with the with this technique, a solution of the geolocation. We identify by understanding with the cross wireless, with the cross informations that we have around this device to identify this person. And that's why we need to use like uh, Incognia, for example, it is a supplier that have this technique that can guarantee and identify this kind of behavior. And with this kind of behavior, we can pop up the images that we or we pop up in the, the monitoring that uh, in the workflow that we are working on to identify this kind of behavior and stop them, you know? And that's how we were going to stop. The, the data is the new oil, you know? We have a lot of trace, a, a lot of uh, information and digitally. We need to use that with wisely because the frauds will do it. So we need to understand what is the the journey of my clients because my client's journey could be one and the other makes in the deliver others. So I understand how it is the, the, the journey of the clients. Knowing that I need to guarantee how can I protect the clients in this journey. So what is the risk that I have in the in the onboarding? To, to make a fake account, to use fake identities, and the challenge to use intelligence and machine learning or informations that we have to scale the operations because we can do it manually. I, I can do it manually. We can avoid fraud manually. We can, but it will take a long time. The experience of the client will be worse. We can have a lot of uh, friction uh, of the clients. So, with this kind of information, we also can save money. For example, a lot of banks in, in out of the countries use biometrics to identify the clients to guarantee that is a, a good section or it is a good transaction or is the good movement that they have. So if I use the biometrics here, I guarantee it is the clients that make the onboarding with me. But if I use it, it has a cost. And it is not cheaper. It is, uh, we have a considerable cost in there. But if I have the clients in his house, in his habitual house, in the, in the locations that they always work on or always in the bed, we can use this information to see, okay, it is not a, a third party entering the account. It is not a account takeover or it is not a, a someone trying to make a fraud in a lot of uh, places because we knew that despite it is in the same place opening a lot of accounts. So the graph models that we have need to use this kind of keys to strong keys, that's fingerprint, IP, and etc. 
but they will always be easily to to manage to to circumvent. So we need to guarantee some and techniques that that is new techniques that we have in the markets to avoid this kind of fraud. Perfect. Thanks, Senko, for providing this uh, perspective. I mean, unbelievable. We're running really close to the hour already. So time is running fast and I feel we could spend another hour going into more examples. Let's go to the last slide. It's just for the audience to take the opportunity to scan the QR code and providing feedback. But I just want to uh, sum up one point from Senko, which I just think is important for the mindset of everybody. I think it's important that we believe we cannot stop all the fraud. We can do our best to make the life hard and breaking the business case for fraudster using our website, our business to make money. Uh, I think that's an important point to always keep keeping our team spirit and in the mind that we're never going to be zero fraud. Otherwise, we have no business. It's more taking the right data, enhancing the data to make the life hard. Uh, and hopefully that the fraudster maybe has too much effort in gaining our website or maybe going somewhere else. I mean, that's the kind of uh, mouse and cat game which we have for with the fraudsters. Uh, I think that's an important point for teams to stay motivated and, and really uh, exploring new, new tools, new data points, going to conferences, going to webinars, learning about uh, maybe insights from other companies to apply this for the daily business. Again, Andre uh, Senko, thanks a lot for being here today. Thank you for providing your perspective. Thank you to, to the audience for your participation today. Thank you for the questions. If you have any kind of comments, please do us the feedback QR code and hopefully we see you in the next webinar. Thank you, Senko. Thank you, Andre. Thank you to the audience. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust and Safety Mavericks. Subscribe to our show to be notified about every new episode and follow Incognit and me, Andre Faraz, on LinkedIn and Twitter.